North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. What's up, everybody? You tune in to Dr. Low Radio, where we bring you the very best in natural medicine. I'm Dr. Noel, a.k.a. Dr. Low, and happy Tuesday. What's been up with me? I've been busy getting my new practice going, doing house calls, patients all over the world working over the phone, and it's been a lot of fun, and of course, bringing this amazing information to you guys. Uh, before I introduce the guest for tonight, just going to fill you in on a few things, what's been going on. If you missed last week's show, I had Chris Kresser on the show. He created the Healthy Baby Code, which is an online course that's designed to get you as fertile as possible, help you have the healthiest baby as possible, and then answer a lot of questions about how to reintroduce foods, how to do the whole breastfeeding thing. It's a fabulous program, and it makes my job a lot easier as a doctor to send my patients over to that, get the nutrition and then all the basic things in place, and I work on the hormones and getting detox, and fertility is just a natural side effect of just getting healthy. So if you missed that show, check it out. All of the archive shows you can get on my website, drlaurennoel.com. And also the program is still available. So check out the program, drlowbaby.com. That's B-R-L-O-B-A-B-Y. And there is a free sample on there. If you want to check a little teaser of the, the program, you can definitely do that. Let's see, next week's show, I will be off. I will be at a medical conference up in Portland. Um, but for you medical students who are listening and you, you new doctors, if you're going to be in Portland for the ACAM conference, I want you to definitely check out a mixer that's going to be up there. If you're interested in finding a, a job with an integrative doc or just meeting like-minded practitioners, definitely check out a mixer that's going to be going on on November 18th at 5.30 to 7. For more information about it, check out acam.org. That's acam.org. It's a totally free event, and it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and then the following week, I will have Dr. Tori Hudson on the show. She's an expert in women's health. She's wrote the, the uh, Encyclopedia for Natural Medicine for Women or something like that, but it's, a, it's something that a lot of natural doctors refer to on a regular basis, and she's wonderful. So we'll have her on the show. And then the following week, excited to kind of shift gears a little bit to have some raw food information on the show. So we'll have Kevin Gianni of the Health Renegade website on the show to talk about raw foods and the power of that. Um, future lineup, we have Dr. William Davis, author of Wheat Belly, coming on. We'll have Dr. Walter Crinion. We had to reschedule him uh, to talk about detoxing. And I will be doing a show on PCOS coming up in the future weeks here. And we will have Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, a repeat guest, on the show to talk about breast health. So that is all the fun stuff coming up. And also, other things on the horizon, I will be doing some cooking videos all about food as medicine, how to make your kitchen your ki your medicine cabinet, and then making herbal tinctures, and uh, also making some fun like face creams and lotions and stuff. So lots of fun stuff coming up. All right, on to tonight's show. Our guest is Dr. Kate Shanahan. She is the fabulous author of Deep Nutrition. It is major brain candy of a read. And it's why your genes need traditional foods. I've been flipping through this for the last couple of weeks. I will admit I have not finished it, but it is a beefy read. It's a lot of fun to read. 
and I highly recommend it. Dr. Kate Shanahan studied biochemistry at Cornell before attending Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and botany and ethnobotany at the National Tropical Botanical Gardens in Kauai. How cool is that? She's a board-certified family physician and helps her patients take control of their health by tapping the body's amazing regenerative powers. Dr. Shanahan has taken a skeptical view of the AMA, which is the American Medical Association, and the AHA, the American Heart Association, and their positions on what constitutes a good diet. Having seen too many examples of conflict of interest by the leaders of these organizations, uh, Dr. Shanahan recently relocated to Napa, California to work more closely with chefs. Very, very cool stuff. Dr. Shanahan, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for inviting me. That, that, yeah, that great to have you. Great. Oh, I love it. I wish I knew about that. I made I would have planned to try and go. Well, you're totally welcome to come up there. I would say probably half of my guests on my show I meet at these great conferences. I hear them do these lectures, and I go, oh, my God, everyone needs to know about this. Let's do a show. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll try for next year. Yeah, for sure. It's actually every six months. So um, oh. I don't know the next one. It might be in San Diego. They come down here quite a bit. So, yeah, maybe you can come and we can actually meet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> You know, I what I love about you is you're a medical doctor. I mean, how rare is it to actually talk to a medical doctor who is really focusing so much on nutrition? Um, I've actually had the opportunity to meet a lot of really great holistically-minded doctors who focus on nutrition, but a lot of my patients, they've had a, a different experience, and that's why they come to me a lot of times. And so I guess I just want to hear a little bit about, you know, your story. How did you become this open-minded, um, very against-the-flow doctor? Well, it wasn't it wasn't an overnight thing by any means. In, in fact, it, it was uh, rather painful. And to use the uh, words of uh, the uh, the uh, Undertaker in uh, the The Godfather, I had to use all my skills, all my talent, because to go from somebody who was, uh, you know, steeped in the whole idea of cholesterol being bad for you and um, statins being these miracle drugs and, you know, the whole what we learn in medical school, which is not just what doctors learn in medical school. It's what we learn from everything we see on TV and the cereal boxes we read and, you know, it's everywhere. And and to be finally become comfortable telling my patients, no, go ahead and have butter. And then even after I was comfortable saying that, it still took me a couple years to, to say go ahead and even lard is better than, you know, um, canola oil and because lard was just like it felt like a swear word practically so but but what really helped me well the reason i did it actually was um partly because i kind of always wanted that sort of information and so i had always been interested in science and as a little girl i was always reading about science i went to medical school because i i wanted to really learn what made the body tick and I just had to settle for the fact that we did not learn that in medical school and I'd just do, you know, regular medicine and pass out pills. But always there was this part of me that felt like there was something missing and something kind of wrong with the fact that we were never really curing things with a lot of these medications. We would change numbers and uh, still, though, people would get sick and get diseases and there was always that feeling like something was missing and only when I actually got sick for a little while where I couldn't do all the exercise that I love to do, which actually took up so much of my time, 
that when I didn't have to do that exercise anymore, I had all this free time. And I spent lots of time um, trying to figure out what people are supposed to eat because my husband, Luke, said, you know, I don't think you should be eating so much sugar. And um, he actually got me off of margarine, thank goodness, a couple of years prior. And so it was it was that, my own sickness, basically, that um, enabled me and allowed me the time to, to really uh, – apply uh, the science that I had learned as a biochemistry student uh, when I studied at Cornell and just the nutrition science that we do learn a lot of important biochemistry, but it just seems really dry, dull, and and unimportant because it's not in the context of a real full understanding of the picture of nutrition. And and so this is back in like 2001, and I um, encountered uh, some just information on, on oils and fats that basically just was the opposite of, of my teaching um, that I had learned in medical school. And and to um, understand why I was hearing that, you know, some fats were good for you, um, I just kept learn, looking for more. Um, ended up, um, sorry, I'm getting <laughs> supposed to not have a call waiting, but I guess we do. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I ended up... Um, really getting uh, some different opinions. You know, I ran across the Weston Price website and found Weston Price's information absolutely fascinating. And um, so I just had to try and figure out where was the disconnect, what happened, and how come it was that there was all this great science in the 30s and 40s that Weston Price uncovered. And I don't know if you're if you've talked about that you know, in the, in the past in your previous shows, but he was a fantastic nutritionist in the early part of the 20th century and discovered that um, fats were a very important part of all indigenous cultures that he studied and um, and that they were healthier and healthier in a profound way where not only did they, you know, not have asthma and allergies and a lot of things that he was seeing at that time, but they also looked physically, structurally um much sounder, and they, um, you know, their teeth would fit in their head. That was his main interest. He was a dentist, so, so, um, I, I just had to get to the root of why is it that doctors don't learn that, and what happened. And so, fortunately, my dad is a doctor too. He's an internal medicine physician, and he had a fantastic collection of, of journals, um, which I couldn't really have accessed any other way. And he dug some old stuff out, and I and I read some of the Sentinel articles that were written back in the the 60s and 70s, and um, they did not say what I had what they what they were supposed to say. You know, like um, doctors get these guidelines handed down to us from these consensus panels, and most of them um, are made up of people who are funded in a huge way by pharmaceutical companies. And so these consensus panels tell us that the standard of care, what you need to do for your patients, or you might get sued, potentially even, mm-hmm. so it's real serious stuff, is you know get people's cholesterol numbers down, put them on these medications, and so on. These consensus panels write all this stuff up, and um, you know it's a humongous document. And I don't think that very many people actually even read the whole thing, not to mention take the time to check the references, but that's what I did, and I, I started checking the references, and I found that the stuff, that way it was cited, it did not say what it said it said <laughs> in a lot of cases. And so 
from that, it became a lot easier for me to accept, okay, then really there there really may be something to this idea that um, that we need fat in a way that I had never heard before. And um, and from there, you know, I just kept on learning more about nutrition and what the body's made of, and, the, and it was just a lot of common sense stuff. Finally, it was like a big relief. I could say, well, you know, it does make sense that nature has designed our bodies in such a way so that we really can't eat too much of a naturally occurring food and kill ourselves, you know. It, <laughs> that's basically what we learn and what we hear from the standard nutritional thing is that if you eat too many eggs, oh my goodness, you better keep track, not more than two a week. But now now it's five a week and they're going to keep upping it because they actually did do a study and up to 12 a week people end up having better numbers, even their cholesterol numbers look better. Isn't that funny? I was telling a patient the other day, she said, well, how many eggs do you eat? And I said, maybe 10 to 15. She's like, her jaw dropped, like, you're going to die. <laughs> Right, like, yeah, no, exactly. I, I eat a lot of eggs. You know, and and it just takes um it takes a lot of repetition to really get it through when people have not heard that message before. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 it just it, in unless you really, you know, repeat it, you have the luxury of repeating it again and again or some people just have this like trust and connection with nature and they just like get it like right away. Right, and it, and it yeah. really does boil down to, I think, to that aesthetic of well, if you just trust nature, then you're gonna, you're gonna, first of all, you're gonna be healthy, of course, but you're gonna understand this and a more, you know, you don't have to ask too, too many questions um, because there are patients who really want to to do this and they want to change their diet, but they've just heard so many times that so many other competing theories that they get lost in the details of the theory, and I try and say, okay, well, let's look at the bigger picture. I mean, remember, it's nature's looking out for us. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have consensus panels, and we didn't have different people writing books, and we just did what we could do, which is what all animals do. If you're a cat, you have claws, you can catch things, you eat little things that run away from you. If you're a person, you have all all these tools and you have access to every part of of nature basically that doesn't kill you immediately. So you're probably going to eat it. Mm-hmm. And that includes, of course, you know, fatty um fatty fruits like coconut and avocado and nuts and naturally animal products. And the real important thing that um, a lot of people on, you know, even the really enlightened people who understand low carb and um, paleo, and I don't know if I should say the word enlightened because it sounds like I'm biased, but (laughs) they've educated themselves. And um, a lot of times they are still kind of have a hard time when it comes to two of the four pillars that I talk about in deep nutrition, which are the the organ meats and the bone broths, because they just seem so they they are so foreign to us but mm-hmm. if you if you remember if you just think about it well you know why would why would somebody who has the tools to make use of that you know get into the bone marrow and you know they have all these they've got kidneys and everything sitting in front of them they're not going to throw them out they're going to make them to sausage or or mm-hmm. do something um right. with them yeah so, it's a whole other element of being holistic even with the whole animal Right, and I really like to help people get from that perspective. Did you sneeze? 
That was my Lucky. dog. Oh. <laughs> She's being the watchdog. Um, I'm excited to go into the different pillars. First, I want to take a step back and just sort of look at your book, you know, from a, a larger scale. So what is Deep Nutrition all about? How would you kind of summarize what your book is all about? It's really all about appreciating what nature does for us. And this this goes from the surface to of like even our our skin and our facial structure all the way to our deepest core, which is our genes. Um, and nature has a way of making it all work. And as long as we we feed ourselves in harmony with nature and the way we have utilized nature before to feed ourselves, so many things will work right uh, from our genes, from not developing genetic diseases, to even potentially if you have a, ge- a disease in your family, not getting it and having your genes be the ones that, that now work better again, um, to growing differently. And this is very, very important um, You know, to, as a follow-up from your last guest, Chris Kessler and his, um, and his uh, Healthy Baby Code. Um mm-hmm. It, the same, I, the exact same idea that uh, it's so important if you're planning for a child to um, to get your diet right. And so, um, you know, the shows like yours are just so important for that. And Chris um, Chris Kresser, is it Kresser or Kessler? Uh, Chris Kresser, yeah, it's kind Kresser. of a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, you know, it's just important to keep listening and learning until you feel like you, you got it and you're comfortable with it. But... Um, but really what we wanted to do when we were writing this book is to is to get people, you know, we wanted to give them the details, but we wanted to also give them kind of a bigger picture of just how how it's all really just common sense so that we don't get lost in metabolic pathways and, you know, it's fun to know the latest thing about leptin and, you know, uh, how melatonin works and all these cool things are really fun. But because, you know, if you like biology and you like to know how the body works, that's great. But to to just see the bigger picture and see that um, people everywhere have been able to make themselves super-duper healthy uh, and it's not like the battle of the diets. It, it's as long as you're following a traditional diet and using food in a traditional way, which is in accordance with the four pillars, which we'll get into. Um, it, you're going to. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. You know so much about about a lot of these things that you know we talk about. Oh gosh, how many meals do you have to eat uh, a day and um, counting two milligrams of things? You know, unless you're trying to lose weight or you have a specific mm-hmm. disease, um, then it is really important to watch carbs. But um, but uh, to just kind of take a different perspective and and um, and appreciate what we feel are really the original nutrition scientists, and these are people who love cooking. <laughs> mm-hmm. People who can cook and people have the cook, who have the cooking skills because it was by those skills that we went from – whatever we were before we became human to human and so you know that kind of flies in the face of a lot of religious beliefs uh, depending on how you interpret things but i really i really find that the you know when you look at it it almost is in harmony with a lot of religious beliefs where they see that there is an, a natural order to things and that you need to follow that natural order um mm-hmm so that you can be healthy. 
And yeah. Uh, yeah. So so it's kind of it's hard. You know, people are always asking, well, what is your book about? And and it's really hard for me to answer that in a sound bite. And I know that you need that to kind of be able to talk about it and explain what it is. But but I really. I, I make a point of this actually in the book of saying that in some sense our our impatience with just the sound bite of what is this bit of science and what is the one thing I need to take away is kind of in a big way what's gotten us in trouble mm-hmm. because that's where the cholesterol theory of heart disease actually came from when um back in the fifties when they were looking for the cause of heart disease, right? They didn't they didn't want to know that there was more to it than just one thing in the diet that was causing it. And so so when that um Ansel Keys developed that theory, the uh, diet heart hypothesis back in the fifties and sixties, everybody just jumped on it because it was a nice easy sound bite, easy to remember. But right. but um that's why we call it deep nutrition and that's why a lot of people who get it can't finish it in a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's it's cool. It's one of those books that anyone reading it who maybe isn't familiar with this, or even if you've already been studying this stuff for a while, you kind of have an aha moment. It's like, oh, you start to just see things in a different way when you start to really study this stuff. Um, so for for those of you who just tuned in, we're, we're talking to Dr. Kate Shanahan. She's the author of Deep Nutrition. We're getting deep today on the show, and it's it's a lot of fun. So if you also want to call in and ask a question, 818-495-6919, 818-495-6919. I'll probably open, open up to the phone lines in about maybe 20 minutes or so. Um, but... Dr. Shanahan, so let's let's jump into uh, some of the meat of the book. So you you outlined something called the four pillars of world cuisine. What is that exactly? So those are the four common elements to all world cuisines that I've ever heard of. That um, are basically four different techniques by which people, no matter where we live. Um, can feed ourselves because we all do the same kinds of things whether we live in a cold climate or a warm climate by the ocean or not by the ocean we all do the same four kinds of things and eat the same kinds we I mean, do the same four kinds of things to acquire food for ourselves and our families so those four things are the four pillars and I'll just list them um, then I'll go into a little more detail so we've got fresh food is one pillar by itself we've got fermented and sprouted foods We've got meat on the bone, and we've got organ meats. So so what is that about, and, and, and why did I divide it up like that? So the the fresh food basically is just exactly what it sounds like. You know, people would just grab stuff that was edible and eat it as is, pretty much without cooking or preparing it in any other way. And that is, you know, these days, basically, the close, the, that's one of the two pillars that we do get. <laughs> Um, and um, the, the but we don't really get it so much. We only get the vegetables, right? So you know we're used to eating a salad, fresh salads, fresh fruits, but we don't get the uncooked protein products. You know the uncooked meats, um, in a, especially not in American diet. Now Japanese um, and Asian cultures, they have a lot of raw fish, fish eggs. They often use raw eggs, um, and so that's included. And, of course, um, anybody who's a member of the Weston Price Foundation, they know raw milk is a huge part of any of the indigenous dairy diets. They obviously did not have pasteurization plants, and and they probably, you know, would not boil it because that would use 
precious wood and other resources that they needed to heat their houses with. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that's the the fresh pillar, and um, then the next one is fermented and sprouted, and that one is is important because it enabled it did two things. It was it basically fermenting and sprouting are two ways to work with nature that actually enhance the nutritional content while potentially even preserving the food for later. So fermenting mm-hmm. is is where um, we would if we would get we had to do this it wasn't something that we you know we thought about you know it was something out of necessity and that was brought about by the fact that plants tend to ripen all at once you know if you um if you were in a fishing community fish tend to come by and run a lot on rivers especially um so you would you know a lot of times you would be catching or having all this food all at once and you couldn't eat it all at once so you had to find somewhere to store it couldn't always dry it because again that would use wood it might be wet you know you, so they would just let nature take its course and obviously without without knowing about microbiology um mm-hmm. they would find that certain changes would take place and so the people who make wine call it noble rot and um uh the the Egyptians had a cool word for it too that I can't remember at this moment. But um so they just would notice that changes would take place over time. The food would be different. It it would smell different, it would look different, it would have a different consistency, but it didn't kill you. <laughs> so they would eat it. And um did you know sushi originally was um whole fish wrapped in rice? No, and I didn't. And and it was fermented because there was the bacillus bacteria that live on rice and that are mm-hmm. often the, um, the reason people get food poisoning from eating rice. <laughs> it's a long <laughs> strain of bacillus. Um, they do they um, like seed the um, the fish with the right kind of bacteria so that you get the whole process of the the right kind of microbes um, growing on it and. And it would be a year later, or so it would preserve it for up to a year, basically. Wow, that is so cool! Didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so this was like the original sushi, you know, a thousand years ago or more. Um, and nowadays, of course, it's just raw fish. But this was not only raw; it was also fermented. And what does fermentation do for you? What that raw food doesn't do? Well, it gives you all the beneficial microbes that just fermented your food for you. They're still there. And when you eat these beneficial bacteria, many of them survive the journey through the acid in your stomach because they tend to be acid lovers. A lot of these fermented foods tend to be acidic, like yogurt, um, for example. Um, So um, then they can divide in your stomach. And uh, as probably your listeners know, um, our, our immune system, some people say it starts in the stomach. We have more cells of other bacteria in our entire intestinal tract, then we have cells in our own body. Like 10 times the amount or something crazy like that. Yeah, it's crazy. It's five pounds of bacteria is we're carrying around all, our, all the time. And and these bacteria have to be on our side. You know, they can't be bacteria that want to um, invade our blood system and make us sick. And so if your diet is full of these um, fermented foods that have living beneficial bacteria in there, that's really going to help your immune system in case you ever eat something that is contaminated with the bad bacteria. Because um, we now know this, 
and I write about it in the book, that um, when it comes to um, the, the immune system starting in the stomach, it's really it's immune bacteria have a way of sensing if they are um on the same team meaning if they are like a probiotic or not you know bacteria mm-hmm. can tell how many of themselves are around it's called quorum sensing they they secrete hormones and stuff and mm-hmm. when there's enough of a quorum and it's the bad guys then that then even though you might have had them in your system for a long time once this quorum is reached then they start trying to invade and that's when you get sick so if you're always eating plenty of good bacteria, you have more good bacteria than bad. And when that battle gets started, the, the, they fight each other for us. I mean, it's so cool. It is so cool. <laughs> All this stuff's going on. So anyway, that's yeah. fermented. It's, it's a real cool part of the thing. Sprouted is basically the the idea that um, it does sprouting um, – was the way the bread in the Bible days was made because they had no mills. Mills are uh, to make flour are were only invented about a thousand years ago. Um, so bread originally was made out of sprouted grains, and sprouting does um, uh, lets nature take its course to reduce the work of making bread. We didn't have to use mills. We didn't have to use energy that way. Um, so it's green, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, it also converts some of the carb in the seed, which is essentially sugar, which is empty calories, into the plant enzymes, convert that stored starch into what's going to be a plant soon. So it's going to make you know, all kinds of uh, vitamins and amino acids and fiber and all kind of good stuff. So sprouting grains and sprouted grain breads, are going to be about 10 to 20 to 30% lower in carb and have more nutrients. So that's why I recommend sprouting grain bread. Um, and then the third pillar being meat on the bone. The reason I say on the bone is because there is also evidence that um, cultures, in, even in very primitive times, would go through the effort of crushing the bones to cook them, you know, to get them small enough so that they could leach whatever was in them out into the the fluid that they were cooking them in, and also getting the marrow inside. And when you reach out, it turns out that there is a certain um, chemical in the shiny stuff at the ends of the bone, you know, that shiny white cartilage when you're eating a chicken bone and you may or may not have someone Mm -hmm. in your family who loves to gnaw on that white stuff. My sister always did. Uh, You? you. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Uh, Well, what they're getting is a really cool molecule. It's a family of molecules that we actually probably need the same way we need vitamin C. Not all animals need vitamin C. Not all animals need these things called glycosaminoglycans, which is a long word. Um, If it sounds familiar, it's because it's, you've probably heard of it in the form of glucosamine. That's a related molecule. Glucosamine is a joint supplement pill, and it really is good for your joints for a lot of people. But glycosaminoglycans, the whole family that you get from boiling bones, are much, much more powerfully beneficial. And what they do is they actually act as a hormone that signals the uh, little cells in your own joints and connective tissues that make your collagen and that make your tendons and ligaments and that make your skin cells, um, they signal them to produce more collagen. And without that signal, they don't produce as much. Mm. So it helps um, It helps your connective tissue. And I've had people uh, writing me saying that you know, somebody actually asked one of their friends, they, they started doing bone broth, and that one of their friends asked them if she had Botox, and she said, no, not Botox, bone broth. <laughs> Ah, well, same thing, right? It's the same thing. <laughs> I love that. Well, I'm a yeah. huge fan of bone broths. I prescribe that for um, 
you know, sprained ankles or bone breaks or um, just helping with your connective tissue integrity. Let's say you're going to your chiropractor all the time and you're just not holding the manipulations. I mean, you have to have the building blocks for healthy connective tissue. Otherwise, it's just, it's going to be lax, you know? Yes, right. And and fortunately, this is one of those things that if you have kind of not so great connective tissue, like I don't, but but you eat well, that um, your kids will be healthier than you, which um, a lot, which is you know in a lot of cases really good. Right. Because uh, so, so, so unfortunately, there's so many people that were brought up the way I was brought up on you know margarine and Wonder Bread basically, and I started having connective tissue and joint problems when I was in high school, which mm-hmm. is very premature. So, but it's gotten a lot better since I started that. And so now we're getting to the last pillar, which is number four, um, which is organ meat. Now, both three and four, um, meat on the bone and organ meat, relate to the same thing, using the the whole animal and using it smartly. But I I felt they needed to be divided into pillars because um, a lot of because they're so different. Their benefits are so different, and cooking them requires different skills and and this is where um Luke and I really my co-writer and my husband <laughs> I also know him as my husband <laughs> um it, it is uh really tips his hat a lot to the chefs because they not only have always known that these things make better food you know when when you go to a fancy restaurant and you get a gravy it, it it's not made out of a bullion cube it's made out of um, something like a demi-glace, which is a fancy version of just bone broth that you've boiled down and condensed and intensified the flavors. Mm. Um, and chefs also nowadays um, are some of the few people that know how to make organ meats and things like liver and kidneys um, and any part that they want taste really good because these are very pungently flavored parts of an animal and um, unless you know a good recipe, um, it guess it's not going to taste really good, and you're not going to want to <laughs> eat it. <laughs> so so that's why uh, we're really excited to be here in Napa. We just got here, so I'd love to tell you we have a bunch of chefs lined up that we're going to do our next book with, but we're working on that. <laughs> nice. Hence the hanging with the chefs. You can master that last pillar of, of world cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I give my dog, actually, um, organ meats on a regular basis, and she usually doesn't really like them. I kind of have to sneak it in there, but I, I, I notice a big difference in her energy. It's pretty interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah, we talked a lot about organ meats last week, too. Um, Chris Kresser shared a, a tip of uh, if you don't like the taste of them, one thing that he does is he cuts the organ, or the, like a liver, for example, cuts them into small pieces and and puts them in the freezer for two weeks on like a cookie sheet, and then after the two weeks have gone and all the bacteria, possible bacteria has, you know, died, that you can just take it like a pill. And so if you just cannot handle the taste and just won't do it, it's kind of a way to, you know, sort of like taking nature's vitamin. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, back in the day when they did not have iron pills, they, doctors, we just told our patients to take a liver pill, which basically was probably mm-hmm. something that was made very similarly to that, just like dehydrated in a freezer or something like that. Yep. But the, but I want to share with your listeners that if they have the desire to learn 
how to make these things taste good. They can because there are so many cuisines that use them. And I put in the end of my books, actually both my books, because this this one recipe I've put in both my books, it's only overlap between our books, the two books that we wrote, is um, I call it Sandy's Miracle Liver Recipe because it is a miracle how easy it is and that it actually tastes good. And not only that, because when you get a cow's liver, it's a real huge pile of thing and if it's just two or three people, you're not going to finish it off, and it tastes even better the next day. So hmm. I'm looking at it right now. I'm going to try that one. The okay. secret is the sauce, the soy sauce. Yeah. <laughs> that Very one. cool. So, well, but, good. So let's, let's just jump into a couple other things that you talk about in your book. Your book is so interesting. I mean, things that I've never even really seen before. And one of the things in particular that I love you talk about is just how beauty is connected with health. I thought that was very interesting. And how looking at the facial structure of a person, you can get kind of an idea about their nutritional status or perhaps their mother's or grandmother's nutritional status. Um, can you talk a little bit about that in, in a second sibling syndrome specifically? I think that's something really interesting to touch on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because actually it turns out that um, I just got an email today from somebody who's been following a paleo diet for a couple years before he had a baby and um, he and his wife have you know, both been following a paleo diet and, uh, and that's a kind of a diet that's very much in the line with the four pillars. You know, it's the same, the same kind of idea, eat the way your genes want you to eat. Um, some of the little details are different, but... Um, the, uh, the And he showed me a picture of his baby boy and... I was, like, blown away because, like, you know, some kids, you can't, when they're little babies, you can't really tell their sex, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're cute, of course. This was a boy. <laughs> <laughs> because he had, he was just so adorable. If you can imagine, like, Tony Soprano crossed with the Pillsbury Doughboy and <laughs> shrunk up and miniaturized, I mean, he definitely, Tony Soprano is, like, a tough guy, man's man, intimidating just to look at him. And and this little baby was like he had this massive head and big tough eyebrows and a really wide jaw and just a very serious look on his face and <laughs> like and then he was playing next to um a, a, a same age baby and I happened to have pictures of the parents and and you know what I, the parents both look very they're both very good looking guys and i wouldn't say that one child went into this with inherently you know better you know parent, parental genes but the one the the one that was following that diet and being really careful it it really it's a shocking difference i mean it's really mm. very impressive it was throughout his whole body not just in his face i also noticed that the uh, comparing the children um, the one that wasn't as, um, you know, genetically well off, unfortunately, uh, because really I have to believe this is because of diet, um, had a narrower chest, had more sloping downward shoulders instead of sort of the broad straight shoulders. He had some um, turning in of some what we call, um, well, there was just some malalignments in the in the lower leg. And it was just, it was, you know, it was throughout his whole body. And, um I, I, you know, I think it's good that so many people are following these diets now because they're having kids and they are going. Hopefully, I think that will just be the living proof that that hopefully convinces doctors and other people um, who are, you know, who sometimes I hate to say this, but know better than to trust their doctors about what to eat. Um, 
that this is really a good thing and it's really worth the time that it takes to learn how to to do it and to cook and get the good food. You know, the other element that we didn't that I didn't mention and that I I don't really highlight it as much as I maybe should have is that source really matters. We talk about that in our book, but you know, we talk about the, the traditions, but source is so important and and I'm mentioning that because it's not just about what you eat, whether it's an animal, whether it's a liver, whether it's a plant. It's about where it came from and what was that yeah. soil like, how healthy was that part of the earth. Mm-hmm. And, and this ties it all back to, to nature, and we are made of nature, and we are only as healthy as the part of that as that part of nature to which we connect our bodies through the food that we eat. And we talk about food as more of like a language rather than... Um, you know, the way we talk about food now and protein and carbohydrate and fat and calories, it's so clinical and cold and and it can be confusing and overwhelming to people who are trying to watch this and that. But if, it doesn't it hasn't led to a better understanding of health. And and I really think that um that trying to just, you know, take that big step back and say, Well, what are we doing anyway when we're eating? What's happening there? How how does that relate to something that's been going on since before we were here on this planet. And, you know, originally life was um, DNA interacting directly with the 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 nutrients in the environment, and we're still doing that. That started, according to some research, about 3.5 billion years ago. And our mm. DNA has been perfecting that relationship, has been perfecting that interaction for three, your DNA, Lauren has <laughs> 3.5 billion years old, and and just wow. think about that in terms of like it, it is an in, there is an intelligence in there. It's I mean you know these are very long complicated molecules. They they operate in a in a way like a computer would operate. That that is an intelligence. And the people who study um, the science that we talk about in the book called epigenetics, which is um, the science of gene expression and what makes are what makes our genes work other than just the letter code of DNA. Um, they talk about the you know the way they talk about the way our DNA works gets into this personification where we start seeing things like intelligence and memory and all this and 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 it really is that. I mean it has to be that there is an intelligence and I mean my goodness it's older than anything else we know, right? And it survived that long. You've got to give it its props, <laughs> DNA. <laughs> so why not just give it the intelligence? So anyway, that's what we're doing when we're eating. Is we are that intelligence in our DNA is interacting with the, with a part of the planet Earth, and if it's interacting in, from with a healthy part of the planet Earth, then we can be healthy. If it's not, then it's you know it's just not going to work. It's like trying to um, use a Mac program in an IBM computer. It just is not going to work. It's not the technology that we've been designed for. And in processing our food and and in um, desecrating our environment, we are severing that communication cord between our that, that line of communication that's been in existence forever um, between our DNA and the environment that it's existing in. So mm. that's why source and knowing what your farmers do and 
doing farming the traditional way where you have animals on pasture and not feeding them grain and so on and so forth and use the whole environment in harmony. That's why it's so important to pay attention to that too, not just the raw materials, although you know, we do what we can, and so it's hard to find farmers to do everything right these days. So, um, so it, it's that's a big barrier and it's a big problem. Absolutely. If you guys uh, just tuned in, we're talking to Dr. Kate Shanahan, author of Deep Nutrition, and it's a really, really great book. Um, I'm flipping around here. You have a lot of photos in your book, which keeps it really fun to read. And uh, you have photos of celebrities. You have Prince Harry and you have uh, Prince William, and you're comparing their faces. Really interesting stuff. And you also have a comparison with uh, Paris Hilton and Nikki Hilton, as well as uh, Matt Dillon and Kevin Dillon. And you're talking about how you there's the, the initial baby, which is you know the one with the, the, the fuller face, and then the second sibling, and how you go into why a woman may not want to have a a baby and then turn around and have another baby very quickly. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right, very important question. So there's there's two issues there, and the first one is that the um, this is and this really probably will rub some people the wrong way. Um, so uh, I'm just warning you. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the idea of beauty um, is not cultural. I know that we've heard that you know oh we see models and you know that's why we have these certain things that we associate it. We're not taught that because, um, and, and that's why in the book I talk about a, a guy who found a, a ratio that's common to not just all beautiful people but all beautiful things. It's a mathematical ratio called phi. It's also some of the Greeks knew about this. Um, it's called the, the golden ratio. It's also uh, the Fibonacci number. Um, it's, a, it's a really fantastic, and just for any math geeks out there, um, mm-hmm. they'll you want to look up this Dr. Marquat and look at his mask and what he discovered. So so um, the idea that beauty is in any way subjective, there are cultural elements to beauty. We do, you know, have some notions that will change, but the, what is constant is... Um, the the geometry uh, the skeletal geometry we all, we and, it, and that geometry has to have um, this golden number ratio in it and when you have that geometry you can be a movie star no sweat if you don't it's not so easy you have to be a really good actor and so that's why I use <laughs> celebrities because um, uh, one example I use um, is um, Kevin Dillon who is a fantastic actor and his younger brother. Um, do I have this right? I, maybe I'm getting mixed up. Is Matt Dillon and Kevin is the younger one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Luke is the one who gets all the celebrity names straight. So um, yeah. So his <laughs> younger his younger brother by two years, um, he doesn't quite have that same geometry, and he actually is a fantastic actor, but he had to be a comedic actor because um, he didn't have that leading man look, and 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 he's two years younger. Um, and uh, I believe it's two. I'm hesitating there because I can't remember if it was like 18 I think you, you wrote or... 18 months. Yeah, okay. pretty close. Yeah, that's it. And why is that 18 months a, a bad number? Because just like any other like thing that grows, you have to feed your, your human maternal body the right nutrients so that you can create a, the, uh, a baby uh, in the healthiest possible way. And it takes time to replenish your body after you've donated so many good things to your baby. 
and it, it turns out that the placenta is uh, is really a great parasite. Like this is how people who talk about um, who study um, embryology and what the placenta does, they call it a parasite because it, yeah. it's amazing. It, ha- it secretes these hormones that will leach calcium from mom's bones and will find the essential fatty acids from anywhere in her body, even her brain, if it has to, so that it can build a baby right. And that happens, you get your healthy baby, but if mom's diet wasn't very good and she doesn't replenish that calcium or the essential fats, then the next baby, the, the placenta will only do so much. And, and at some point, it, it realizes, wait a second, I can't kill mom because that would be bad for baby here too if mom died. Right. So, so it's only going to take so much and go so far. And so to prevent that, um, the baby will have just a little bit less calcium, a little bit less vitamins, and it manifests not just in thinner bones, but it actually manifests in an inability of the DNA to create that that growth in that optimal, natural, geometric pattern, and so that you you have just a different, you don't get that perfect ratio, and you don't get that um, that optimal bone growth and what tends to happen in the face is that you get a narrowing so that the eyes are closer together, um, the nose can be more, um, the nasal passages are are too small. I see this this one a lot. This is um, ear canals that are kind of twisted and turned. It's kind of hard to look in there and see the the ear drum properly because the ear canal is so twisted. Children, um, what's that? I see that that too with patients, yeah. Yeah, and and so it's just it's not always going to be the case because sometimes the firstborn is born under worse circumstances for the mother. Like say, um, you know, the extreme case would be like a a drug addicted mother. Say she goes into rehab after having her first baby and she starts becoming a nutrition fanatic. Well, that second baby obviously is going to be in much better condition. So. It's not you don't see it all the time, but it is a rule that it has no it it has some some uh, modifications to it, but it I have not seen an exception to it. Um, and um, it, sometimes uh, it manifests way later in life. Like uh, I just met a 91 year old here in town who is the older of two. Her younger sister's two years younger than her, and um, this older lady is extremely healthy. I mean, she runs a farm. She she raises chickens. She has no medical problems. She doesn't see doctors. Um, but her younger sister, when she turned 80, she got all kinds of diabetes and heart disease and everything, and kind of started falling apart. So that just and that was the only difference because mom and dad grew up. They were on a farm, and they did a lot of things right that even parents today don't do. That's why this younger woman still was very healthy for a super long time until she was 80. And she's still alive. She just has a, a lot more medical problems than her older sister. But it's it's just that, uh, it's just fascinating to me that this, there's, there's so few, I've never seen an exception to the rule. I've only seen reasons for, you know, modification of <laughs> explanations, I guess I should say, when when there seems to be an exception, but there's always a clear explanation. And I think that this is something that, um, because beauty is controversial, and you know the idea of beauty and being and being an, an ideal rather than something that is subjective, being an absolute rather than something that, well, everybody's really beautiful. I'm not saying it has you're a better person. I'm not saying it makes you uh, a nicer person. I'm saying that if your bone structure 
is in keeping with this ratio, everything about your body will work better, and mm-hmm. not just from the face. You will have better posture. You'll have less pain in your neck. You will have less pain in your joints because they'll be aligned properly. And so much um, depends on on our growth. And when any little thing goes wrong, we just see so many problems. And that's why there are so many children now who are having problems that they never had before. And mm. pretty much you, you name it. And you've probably seen this too, Lauren, that you know kids have problems that their parents didn't have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I've seen so many times where kid, grandchildren are on more medications than their grandparents. Yeah, I mean, I would say autoimmune disease is one of the most common things seeing now with these young kids. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, and yeah. and that's, you know that makes a lot of sense because the immune system is very complicated, and we're monkeying with so much in our diet that we're just you know that complicated system is going to fail. And um, you're probably including things like food allergies. Oh, totally. Yeah, and and that's Absolutely. so awfully common. I think I I was li- just listening to a. Uh, a medical education, uh, they said like celiac disease is some some statistics say that 30% of children have celiac disease, which is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Gluten sensitivity is one of the most common things, I would say. And, uh, yeah, asthma, allergies, autoimmune, the three A's, those are just, <laughs> they're so common. It's, it's, it's insane. And I think that this type of diet that you're talking about right now, it addresses these conditions so much. I mean, this should be the foundation for for anybody with these types of conditions, I I think. Um, And it would address so much of that inflammation. Actually, it's a really good segue. So one thing you talk about in your book is inflammation and how that is really the issue going on with so much of the diseases nowadays. Um, And, you know, we have this culture, we're so afraid of fat. But it's, it's the types of fat and also with the whole inflammatory picture, with that in the mix, that really changes things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, so the the main um, thing that I think is, is missing still, unfortunately, from some of the low-carb um, communities is the importance of getting your fats right. And the, there are chemicals in the most common fats, being the vegetable oils, that are um, very pro-inflammatory. So I'll explain what I mean by pro-inflammatory and, and which chemicals I'm talking about. So vegetable oils are... Um, the most common and most inexpensive oils, they are made from things like canola, corn, soy, sunflower, and they are extracted in such a way that the um, the molecules of fatty acids themselves are altered, physically altered, during the extraction process and by the time they're put in the bottle. So that while, um, you know, soy oil isn't bad for us, while it's in the seed or sunflower seeds, you know, are not going to be bad for us, the extracted oil is horrible for us, and that's because the oils are um, the polyunsaturated fats are very heat sensitive, and these uh, vegetable oils tend to be um, full of polyunsaturated fats, and they tend to be promoted as healthy because this notion of fat clogging your artery um, is so simplistic. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's wrongheaded and it's silly when you say it like this, but the idea is basically, well, saturated fat molecules are stiff, so they're going to clog your arteries. Right. <laughs> and um, and because polyunsaturated fats can bend, they won't. Okay, sure, yeah, that's not what happens. Fat doesn't circulate, uh, you know, freely in our, our bloodstream. It, fat doesn't dissolve in water, so that's like a ridiculous argument on its face. 
So um, what the reason that polyunsaturated fats are so bad is because during the processing they distort and they distort in such a way as that so that when you heat them again or when they come in contact with oxygen and iron in your blood they will initiate what, uh, something called a free radical cascade, which is basically a small explosion where there's free radicals or high-energy electrons get, that get released from these partially oxidized polyunsaturated fatty acids. And I know I'm using a lot of big fancy words, and you don't have to pay attention to any of them. Bottom line is you get basically, it's basically like eating radiation that can burn or fry your arteries, can burn or fry your digestive system, and that process promotes a reaction from your body that results in swelling and a whole bunch of um, chemical factors released that we call inflammation. And you get um, digestive discomfort. You can get your your. It can confuse your immune system into thinking that you have an infection. And so, what happens when we see gluten um, since gluten intolerance is that your body has been confused and the protein gluten has been mistaken for a bad bacteria. Your body's created antibodies against gluten, innocent gluten. And um, and now every time you eat anything containing gluten, you have this whole inflammatory cascade and, and it's like your body thinks you have a pathogen. Um, so it tries to kill the gluten. I mean, it's you know, it doesn't even almost make sense, but that's what's going on, and and it's the inflammation has confused your immune system, and so that I believe is the reason we see so many not just food allergies, but also um, animal allergies and pollen allergies because we're getting exposed to these other proteins from food and pollens and animal dander. It's a protein that triggers an immune response. And in the setting of inflammation, which comes from these bad fats and high-sugar diet, um, our, just our immune system can't work, and it makes mistakes all the time. And so we're, it's always going to be attacking something it shouldn't be attacking. And so we have allergic reactions to so many things. Mm-hmm. So yep. a lot of people who've read Deep Nutrition say, well, she doesn't talk about food allergies. And that's true. I don't specifically draw that connection, but when you – follow the advice in the book and get off of it, you know, eat the way I advise people to eat, you're going to be reducing the inflammation. And, you know, depending what your particular issues are with allergies, you may have developed a gluten intolerance, then don't eat gluten. You may have developed peanut allergy, then don't do that. But generally, um, you know, if you've, <laughs> other than um, the things you know you have a problem with, the rest of it will work for you, and that gets back to any traditional diet, you know, really will work for you right. to be a healthy diet. So you can, if you don't know what to cook, just look up, for instance, Filipino um, liver recipe, and you might find something that um, you end up really liking. Hmm. All right, I'm going to Google that. <laughs> for those of you guys who just tuned in, uh, we're talking to Dr. Kate Shanahan, author of Deep Nutrition. We probably have a couple minutes Left. If uh, any of you guys listening want to call in and ask a question, this is the time. So 818-495-6919. That's 818-495-6919. Let's see. From the few questions I have remaining, what are the best ones I for sure want to ask you? Um, let's see here. We talked about collagen, talked about epigenetics. Let's touch a little bit on cellulite for those uh, for those of us that are, you know, <laughs> Uh, into vanity, and I live cellulite, in San Diego, so obviously yeah. it's like a big issue down here. So let's talk about cellulite. What's going on with cellulite, and how can you address that from a natural perspective? Okay, well, cellulite is fat that lacks the proper collagen connective tissue support, and so instead of being all nice and firm, it's lumpy and horrible and embarrassing. 
and that happens because of um, as we're developing in our childhood and adolescence, um, as we're putting down a thicker layer of fat under the skin, if our diets are not healthy, we don't get that structural support. So, okay, so what do you do about it if you've already passed puberty <laughs> and you're saying, oh, no, well, it's too late for me? Well, okay, it's not entirely too late because if you get your diet in order, First of all, you will not develop new cellulite because any new fat, if you happen to keep gaining weight, which is if you really get your diet in order, you're not going to be gaining weight, but um, you're going to be able to make healthier fat in the future. And um, you, when, as you lose weight um, and exercise plays a key role in this, um, you will be able to to flatten out the the lumps in in a big way. So, you know, there may still be little little bits that have to be nipped and tucked that you, if you had had that diet perfectly from childhood, um it wouldn't have to be, but it you'll be way better off. So, um and the reason for that is because um inflammation actually also destroys connective tissue. And so, if you are uh, get your diet back in order as your body your body is always replacing cells and replenishing fat stores and using old fat stores you will be able to and it's always trying to do the right thing you will be able to fortify to some degree um the the fat where you need to have fat right like you know we need to have fat in our butt <laughs> so that when we sit down we don't um, squash our sciatic nerve. Uh, you know, we need to have fat <laughs> here and there. We actually need to have fat on our cheeks, and or we don't look right. Um, so as you as you get a healthier diet, it's not only going to help with the, the cellulite and get get rid of as much cellulite as possible, um, and especially in conjunction with exercise. It's really going to show up in the fat that never even had cellulite that was maybe starting to sag a little bit. It's going to tone up and firm up a little bit and um and i i always i always love to hear this cuz i'm definitely in vain you know people say oh you have such nice skin i'm like oh god oh, i love you um, <laughs> but but you know and i attribute that to my diet because i never heard that before i switched my diet mm-hmm. yep same here i had really bad skin back in the day and not until changing my diet does my skin look pretty good so i'm, <laughs> I'm happy with it looks like we had a caller on the line so we got a caller from the 508, you've called in Dr. Low Radio. What's your name and where are you calling from? Lisa calling from Massachusetts. Hey, Lisa. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing pretty good. What's your question for Dr. Shanahan? I was just wondering if you have any reservations about feeding grass-fed beef, milk, or cheese to young children um, since the Fukushima radiation issues. Right. Um, I think that, you know, way over in Massachusetts, if you're getting local it's you're better off than um those of us here in in California and um you know to some extent uh it's of course all the way around the world but um i don't know how much it's still like emitting I, i'm not super educated on that but i know that like many things you know the radiation itself obviously falls off with the the distance drastically um stuff that could be irradiated I, it's pretty i i just have to say that compared to all the nuclear testing that was done in the 50s and the stuff that's you know probably still going on underground it just doesn't seem to be like that it's going to be that much on top of what has already been going on you know so i i don't worry too much about it and 
and if and certainly though, I mean your point about the animal products, um, while they do bioconcentrate stuff uh, to some degree, um, it's going to be in all food. So you know, I don't, I just don't think that. I personally have not um, gotten to the point where I'm worried about that. Okay, so, thank you very much. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> Thanks for calling in. Good stuff. Let's see here. Dr. Shanahan, if I got anything else I want to make sure I touch on. Um, let's see. We've really flown through this stuff. So the baby, you know, I was going to talk about creating a healthy baby, but we covered that last week. So I think we can um, probably, oh, this would be a good one. So um, I got into this little mini debate recently on my doctor page. I ended up deleting because I thought maybe it didn't look very professional. So, <laughs> um, But it was someone who was very pro-raw vegan and, you know, I, I I definitely just advocate, you know, variety, and I think that some people thrive on certain diets more than others. And so, you know, I, I, I for sure acknowledge the biochemical individuality, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one of those things where I, I was saying, you know, I have yet to find a study that looks at healthy meat and it causing disease. I haven't seen anything like that. And and the argument was it doesn't matter because meat is meat and meat causes cancer. I mean, that was the, the perspective from the person leaving the comment. Um, but, you know, I know different, obviously, and I know that uh, the way that you cook meat changes the properties of it. Can you just speak yep. briefly about that and, and how overcooking meat, what, what that can do and how you want to consume your meat? Heat changes chemicals, and so um, when it comes to uh, certain chemicals are more reactive than others, and certain chemicals are very heat resistant, and you can heat them without problems. Meat is something that we um, we actually do need to consume it cooked to some degree because there's, uh, I believe, there's been lots of studies that support people eating all raw diets, even if they include meat, they still uh, somehow or other can't get enough nutrition from it. Um, so our digestive systems have just evolved to have cooked meat, but it's kind of a, a double-edged sword there. Um, just like oxygen itself is a double-edged sword, we can't live without it, but too much of it can kill us. So um, you you overcook your meat and you dry it out. That's when you're really getting it's the drying of meat. When and and this actually ties back to the chefs when your meat doesn't taste good, when it's really chewy and leathery and kind of gross, it's probably mm-hmm. not very good for you and. And all the science supports that. There's all kinds of changes that occur. You get, you do get carcinogens. You get, un, you know, molecules that our bodies cannot handle. Um, that that our our kidneys are stressed and our um, liver has to, you know, is stressed by the breaking down of these molecules because when they break down, they also can create inflammation, um, which promotes cancer. So um, yes, you do if you're going to eat meat. It pays to um, to know how to cook it without drying it out. And of course, paying attention to source too, like you said, you know, the um, the healthier animals are going to have healthier stuff for us too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good answer. That's pretty much what I said, but I wanted I wanted everybody to hear you say it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I really think when it comes to people who choose to be vegan, I I don't know that most of them are really in it for the science or for themselves. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I I get the feeling that most of the people that I've talked to, um, some of them are, are really convinced by the science, and and I don't agree with them. But some of them are just like, well, you know what? I, I don't really care about the science. I'm not having a kid. I don't want to participate in in any way in that. And um, and that's just a whole different 
thing, and I don't see anything. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to argue with that. How can you? Yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. That's my view of it. Um, I think only but, Joseph Campbell could answer that because he talks about, yeah. you know, the sacrifice and feeding the fire <laughs> and how how to deal with that kind of um, spiritual angst. And that's really what it is. Is I think a lot of vegans sense that spiritual thing of, you know, killing something for them. Some glorious life form had to die, and <laughs> that's just right. awful. So yeah. and I totally get that. Yeah, I get that too. When I was a vegan, that was that was my thing too. But then after a while, I was like, you know what? I really, I'm really craving a steak, and I right. so I ate it, and I felt a lot better. So that's hey, we're carnivores, you know, right? That's our that's our sentence. <laughs> exactly. Any, so, Dr. Shanahan, anything else you want to make sure that you know we get across to the listeners? Anything else I maybe forgot to ask about? Well, uh, Lauren, I think you did a fantastic job. I, I didn't talk too much on sugar and glycation. I talked about free radicals, but. Um, the reason I'm low carb is because sugar is a toxin, and um, and I know people hate when I say this, but I, even things like honey and fruit, the sugar is sugar, and uh, so uh, just to be, if you want to be healthy, you want to be aware of all the sugar sources, and that includes carbohydrates because when they're broken down by your digestive system, they are absorbed as glucose and fructose molecules, just sugar. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of a friend of mine. We went to breakfast yesterday and he ordered pancakes and potatoes and a croissant. Oh wow. <laughs> and and I said, Well, you like sugar? And he goes, What do you mean? This isn't sugar and so there's definitely like this disconnect between, you know, actually seeing a bowl of white sugar and, and eating carbs and I I think people don't sometimes see that, that it's in the body it's really broken down in the same way. So I totally agree with you. <laughs> right. So, all right, guys, that's our show with Dr. Kate Shanahan. you got to pick up her book for sure. Um, where can listeners learn more about you, Dr. Shanahan? Well, I have a website, drkate.com, and it's d-r-c-a-t-e.com. No dot after the R and doctor either. Um, I also have a Facebook page, and I can always appreciate a few more fans. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you deserve it. Thanks so much for joining me for the show, and um, I hope I can meet you sometime in the future. Thanks, Lauren. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in again. Uh, Next week I will actually be off, so uh, catch you in a couple of weeks with Dr. Tori Hudson. Talk all about uh, herbal medicine and menopause. It'll be a great show. Definitely catch it. Uh, Check out the website, drlaurennoel.com. Doing free consultations. I don't know how long I'll be doing that, but for now, I'm doing that, so if you feel like naturopathic medicine might be good for you, check it out, and let's get on the phone and get you feeling better. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great night. Bye-bye. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off.
10% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy Socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.